then Jesus turns his attention to the woman and he actually says to her this time, your sins are forgiven. What you say to yourself and what you allow to happen in your brain matters dramatically for your future. And when you hold on to stuff, including judgment or lack of forgiveness, it will eventually wreck your life. I'm loving the series we're in. We started about three weeks ago, so we're already at week three in what we've called At the Table. At the Table is a series about eating a meal together with people and sharing your life with someone else. In the book of Luke, there are ten meals that Jesus had with a variety of people. Sometimes a lot of people, sometimes privately in a home with just a few. But we're just one at a time going through the book of Luke, and we're talking about what happened at the table. Because, you know, when you eat with someone, that's so different than like a a formal invitation to an office with a sit-down. When you say, let's grab a cup of coffee, or hey, I'll take you to lunch. What is that saying? It's saying, I want to hang out with you. I want to get to know you. And it comes up, you know, where were you born? What's it like? Tell me about your family. What's your occupation? What do you do? And these types of conversations are what Jesus did in his entire ministry for three years. And he ate with all kinds of people. The biggest criticism he got from the religious people were, you eat with publicans and sinners. You eat and drink with people who you shouldn't be eating and drinking with. And the bottom line is God is calling us to be at the table with all kinds of people. Today, it's kind of fun because the miracle that we're going to talk about is about multiplying food. God's all about food, baby. I love that. He's got the best food network on the planet. And think about all the food that God has created in this earth. It's just fascinating to me. But you wouldn't think there would be a miracle in the Bible about God multiplying food. But there is. And I think one of the takeaways right up front here is this. God cares about the little things in our life. Most of us have never been really, really, really super hungry, like starving. Some of you may have. But I can't imagine that Jesus takes a crowd of people that are hungry... And says, I'm going to do something about that. It's more than just a a healing in our body. It's more than just caring about our soul, our spiritual condition. He cares about the physical thing called hunger. So let's look at it. It's kind of fun. The first thing I want you to write down on the back of your program there, if you want to take notes, is number one says the power of welcome. The power of welcome. And if you want to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, you can do that now. And while you do that, welcome to all of our online viewers. We are so glad you're a part of us at Timberline, and God bless you. Journey with us. Luke chapter 9, verse 10, it says, When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. They're tired. They're exhausted. They've been in ministry. They want to be alone. Everybody get that? Okay, look at the next verse. But... The crowds found out where he was going, and they followed him. He told them to go away and get lost because he was tired. Oh, wait a minute. That's probably what I would have said. No, I hope not. But it says he welcomed them, and he taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. Jesus and his disciples needed some space. They, how, how many of you would say, I'm wired that way where if I'm done, I've had enough, I just don't want to be around people anymore today. 
Anybody? So what happens is they've ministered. Good things have happened. They're trying to break away, have some restoration time. But instead of saying he ran away and hid behind a tree, which is what I think the text would say, it doesn't. It says he welcomed them. What does it mean to be a person of welcome? What does it mean to be a church of welcome? What does it mean to have an attitude in your spirit that says welcome to others? And they feel invited in because of the warmth that you offer. (laughs) Bonnie and I were, last summer she had like a family reunion up in Grand Lake. Ever been there? Beautiful place. And and the boardwalk right downtown, they have restaurants and all kinds of crafts and arts. It's a very cool little community. And, and uh, so we're, we're walking around looking at all this stuff. And they had a bunch of these little carved out bears that either from chainsaws or hand carving. But they all and many of them had their paws up like this. And there's a little sign right here. And it would say, welcome. You know, like you put it on your front porch or something. Or, come on in. And we saw one with this bear kind of snarly in his hands and it said, go away. (laughs) I just thought that was pretty awesome. Sometimes you feel that way. Sometimes you feel that way. Let's be honest. Sometimes you're just tired. and, And you need to recoup. But Jesus, in his weariness, said, welcome. That, to me, is powerful. Number two. Where should we eat? Just look at your neighbor and say, mm-hmm. Where should we eat? Some of you are going to be asking that question here in just a few minutes. Or you've already asked it today before you got here. But where should we eat? I love the question. Verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the disciples, the twelve disciples, came to him and said, Send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food for lodging and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. The place where they say this miracle happened, many of you have been there, I've been there, it's a big hillside. At the end of the Sea of Galilee, there's this huge, almost like a stadium seating hillside. And you could fit, fit tons of people there. The, it's, it's numbered at 5,000 men because they counted the men, but that doesn't include women or children. So is it possible we have fifteen to 20,000 people there? It's pretty possible. It, it could be a little less, it could be a little more, but it's a lot of people. So we know that. And it is remote. It's still remote to this day. And in those days, they did not have fast food options. 2,000 years ago, you couldn't just hop in the car, drive through, and catch a burger and be on your way. It was a big deal to go find food, especially for this many people. Uh, Villages, uh, farmers. And so this was a moment in which the disciples step up in order to really help Jesus out. Aren't they great? Because they sensed the people were getting hungry. Like, how do you know when you're getting hungry? Does your stomach tell you? You just have a feeling? How many of you are like me and sometimes you you open the fridge just to see if you're hungry? (laughs) I've done that a few times. Or I'm not hungry until I start thinking about a certain restaurant. And I just start craving something that I love there. And then all of a sudden I'm hungry. So I don't understand all the hunger thing. But... But they were hungry, and the disciples knew that it was getting dark. They knew the people were getting hungry, and they knew there was about to be a problem. So they went to Jesus. Just just bear with me on this. Think about this. I can just see a few, two or three of them coming up, probably Peter, James, John. Hey, Lord, could we have a minute with you, please? Sure. You know, 
I think the people are are pretty hungry. And it's it's getting dark. It's late. And they probably need to find some lodging because that's what we do as humans is we go to sleep at night and we're, we need some food. And we know you're probably not thinking about all that because you're, you're busy healing people and stuff. But we just thought we would help you. God. <laughs> I love this. How many times do we do this? Hey, God. Here's the deal you need to know. Here's the thing I need you to get after right now. And here's the list. And I've thought this through. Trust me on this. If you do this, it'll all be good. You know, I think it's important for us to understand that Jesus wasn't angry about this. He didn't say, don't you know who I am? Jesus is going to actually respond in the most amazing way ever. But I want to tell you something. Sometimes we try a little too hard to help Jesus solve the problem. When the truth is, we need to just offer Him our faith and our trust in this journey. Because it is called a journey of faith. So let that go deep in you. Number three, why am I invited into this miracle? Why am I invited in? What happens in the story right now takes an interesting twist because Jesus is going to take their remarks and he's going to turn it back toward them in a very positive way, but they're baffled by it. They don't understand it. It's in verse 13. But Jesus said to them, remember, they've just said, send the people home, they need food. And Jesus looks at them and says, you feed them. You feed them. There was a gasp. In the disciples. And you see it in the text. But, 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 but. <laughs> we, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Or, are you expecting us? I love that. Are you expecting us? Really, Jesus? That's, that's the spirit I feel. Are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? There's, there's like 5,000 men plus women and children here. So they're just standing there wilted. And by the way, just a side note. It really wasn't their lunch. Another gospel writer tells us that it was a little boy who had a lunch with two fish and five loaves. And Andrew saw that, and I think he went and told Peter, and Peter went and grabbed it. That's how I view the story. <laughs> if you know Peter in the Bible, he, he could do that. No, I think the boy probably, I think they might have said, hey, could we, could we just use this lunch if we need it? And the boy's like, sure, you're bigger than me. Here. Um, anyway, they had this lunch, and... Sometimes we minimize small things. I'm amazed at people, and I hear it all the time as a pastor. I hear people say, well, I'm just not good at that. I just have a little bit of this. Well, I can only do that a little bit. I can only offer like 30 minutes. I can only help a little bit. It's not going to make a difference. That's a lie straight from hell. Do you realize what happens if you give a little bit? What if, you, what if I just gave a little bit, and you just gave a little bit, and we all just gave a little bit, and we put it all here on the... It's a lot. And, and five loaves and two fish can feed a lot of people when you give it to Jesus. Because He multiplies it. And I, I love this story. I, I love this story because Jesus knows what He's going to do. He's, he's fully God, fully man, so He's omniscient. It means He's all-knowing. So in this moment, 
He, he has a plan already that he's going to break the bread and the fish and multiply it, but he still says to them, you feed them. Why? He wants them to process something. He wants them to go through a process of thinking through how they would get this job done. And sometimes God allows us to go through things where our brain is engaged to think through processes that might work or might not. Jesus already knows. But He's wanting to involve His disciples and He's wanting them to think about the process. Sometimes my logic, here's the point. They, they immediately went to what they already had, not what God could do with what they had. And that's what we do. I'm a very logical, order, left brain dominant guy. And when I think about what they were facing, I would have said the exact same thing. Lord, the truth is, we have this little bag of food. There's all these people. If there's money, we can go try to buy food. I don't know where we would get it at this hour. We have a problem. I would never once think, oh, here, you do something with this because you're God. And that's sometimes what we do with our little bit. Why don't we just learn to say, God, I, I, I don't have this covered. I can't do this. So here you go. <laughs> here you go. Our faith journey must have moments of faith. And how can I learn to expect the unexpected in my journey? Number four. Jesus creates structure. This is a part of the story that often we just, in in reading the Bible, we just kind of read this and move on because we're excited about the miracle, the breaking of the bread, and we miss this part because this part is very, very essential so that the miracle can actually happen. Okay, so please be open to this. Jesus replied to his disciples, tell them who's them. The crowd. Okay, thousands of people there. Tell the crowd, tell the people to sit down in groups of about 50 each. Okay. (laughs) The disciples circle up. Okay, guys. Uh, Jesus says put them in groups of 50. Okay, let's go. You go over there. Andrew, you go over there. Philip. They're they're running around. Okay, let's go through the crowd. Hey, everybody, listen up. We got a plan here. Um, Could you please, could you guys right here, ma'am, could you just move right in here? We need you to sit down for just a minute. And I can hear someone in the crowd saying, I don't want to sit down. Well, please sit down, and, and, and could you get in groups of like 50? Uh, it would help us. And someone's going to say, why? And they're going to go, I don't know. And they're going to turn around at Jesus and say, why? And Jesus is going to say, because I said so. Now, you might not have said it like that, but it's true that he said Sit them down in groups of 50. And he didn't say why. Come on. What's up with that? Do we have some kind of a God who wants to torture us and would never give us the answer? What's, what's the dangling carrot in this? What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Obedience always leads the way to the miracle. If, if Jesus, Jesus could have just looked at his disciples and says, hey boys, I'm about to break this bread and it's going to feed everybody. It's going to be so cool. So get them to sit down. And, and they're going around saying, hey, you wouldn't believe it. You're going to eat. Jesus is going to break bread. They're all sitting down. But he didn't do it like that. Some of you right now are being told by God, do this and this and this. And you're going, why? And God's saying, because I said so. And right now, that's all you got. Right now, that's all you need. Obey God. Walk in his statutes. 
Do the things that His Word says. Walk in obedience. The miracles come after that. So they're going through this crowd. Please sit down. I don't want to be in this group. Well, then get over in that group. I don't care. Just get in a group. So they're creating aisleways. Pathways for the disciples to walk with food. That's what's going on on this hillside. Hey, how long does it take to sit down 15 or 20,000 people in groups of 50? (laughs) You ever thought of that? This is a logistical nightmare. It took hours. And it took patience. You know, have you ever gone into a restaurant and found out the wait was like 45 minutes or an hour and you, and you, you left and went somewhere else? I have. How many people that day got tired of waiting? Said, let's split, man. This is, I'm getting tired. And they left only to hear the next day they missed the biggest miracle on the planet. I don't want to miss God's miracle. I don't want to miss... What he's about to do. Sometimes waiting is the hardest, most difficult thing we can do. But some of you right now, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. But Jesus needs time to prepare you and to break the bread. So wait and wait in peace. Sometimes structure precedes the miraculous. That's why as a church we need structure. We need ministry to kids. We need ministry to young people. That's why we love our our student ministry. That's why we're supporting them out in the parking lot today. Why? Because we need to be structured. Can God trust Timberline Church with a new baby Christian? Can God trust us at Timberline Church with someone who's an atheist who walks in here just to learn maybe if God is real? Will we open the welcome mat to someone that isn't like us? I hope so, because that's what we're called to do. That's what this whole thing is about. Let structure happen. We can't just wing it. Sometimes winging it causes problems. Okay, I've got to keep going because I really want to tell you what's coming. Number five, the food is worth the wait. The food is worth the wait. Now, Jesus is going to break the bread and the people are going to be fed, but some interesting things are about to happen. So all the people sat down, verse 15. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They got their steps in that day. Would you agree? Yeah, they got their 10,000 and probably more than that. They got their steps. Because they're running around with food, and Jesus keeps breaking off these chunks of food, and that takes a long time too. How, how much does that? How, how long does that take just to physically provide that much fish and, and loaves? I think about this little boy who brought the lunch. I don't. I don't really know. I haven't thought through fully why it was a little boy. Mom might have put put the lunch together and said, "Here, if you're going to go." You might get hungry. I don't know. But I just think it's ironic that it's a kid who feeds everybody. Unless we become like a child. You know, and and here's this kid. I think he's on the front row. And I think he knows what's in the bag. You agree? (laughs) What's coming out of the bag is not what was in the bag. And he's sitting there and his eyes are this big and he's going, Whoa, Mama didn't put that much food in there. (laughs) This is crazy. And it just keeps coming out and keeps coming out. And I love this thought. Did that kid that day eat the lunch he brought to the party? 
Or did he eat the lunch that God made from the lunch he brought to the party? Here's the point. When you give to God what you have, you don't even have to eat your own food. That little boy probably ate more food than what he brought in the first place. That's a God principle. You offer it to God, that little bit that you have, and suddenly you're feasting in a way that you never would have if you had held on. That's the principle of giving. And it's a blessing in the kingdom of God when people give. Well, it was worth waiting for this food. Now everyone's going to be full. And I want to just jump to that last point there. The joy of leftovers. I love them. How many of you like leftovers? I'm telling you, sometimes it tastes better the second time than it did the first time. I don't know why. Especially like Italian food. Man, I'm getting hungry. (laughs) Talking about all this at the table. Um, Look at verse 17 because it says it all. They all, all, they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. God even likes leftovers. What can I say? What's going on in this story? If, if Jesus is truly the Son of God, and He really is omnipotent, 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 sorry, omniscient, He is all-knowing. That means He knows exactly how much bread, how much fish will feed the crowd. Are you with me? So, just think. He's breaking the bread. And it gets to the point where He knows this is, this is what everyone can eat. No one's going to eat anymore. Anything from here on out, leftovers. Why does he keep going? Do you think there's logic to it? There has to be. And I'm not saying I know. I'm looking all weekend. I've been saying, if you have ideas, write it down and hand it to me. I have a few thoughts. But I think it's ironic that there are 12 baskets left over. How many disciples are there again? Twelve. Oh, well, that's just kind of odd. Twelve and twelve. So each disciple is walking around with a basket of food when everybody is full. I can see him gathering at the front. Peter saying, John, have some of this, man. I'm stuffed. And John's like, I'm, I'm, I'm so full. I've got my own basket. Look at this. What are we supposed to do with this? What was Jesus up to? What was he trying to accomplish? I think Jesus was trying to make a couple points. And this is just in my little filter. I think one of the first things he wanted to have happen is he wanted people to see that he always provides more than enough. But I also think he wanted them to eat on this for two or three days. I wanted, they had to take this with, and every time I eat leftovers out of my fridge, I remember the dinner. It's like, oh, that was fun. I remember that. And who I was with, and maybe the conversation. Jesus is saying, remember what I did here when you eat this food again. But maybe the biggest reason is because he wanted his disciples to always have something to give. They're walking around these next few days like, you hungry? Here, please take some of this. (laughs) It's going to spoil. Please eat it. Instead of living on empty. Man, we, we live in a culture where so many people are hanging by a thread emotionally. You look at them wrong and they snap. 
They're angry. They're mean. They say things they shouldn't say. Why? Because they're living on empty. There is no reserve there. Jesus doesn't want you to live like that, spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking. I close with a, a story I, uh, I told several years ago, and I hardly remember it. You probably won't either, but I was on a ministry trip, and I was coming back really late. I got a red-eye flight because I'd much rather just get home and sleep in my own bed, you know. So I was exhausted, and I hopped in my car. This was before E-470 was connected to DIA, and there was a little back way that I always took. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You go through the little small towns. It's about a 20-mile loop. So I, I get to DIA a little after midnight. It's like 1 in the morning when I get to my car, and I'm so tired, and I'm thinking, oh, I just can't wait to get home. So I load up, hop in the car, and I'm going this back route and uh, thinking about the trip, thinking about getting home when I'm about... I don't know, eight or ten miles in to this no man's land. And my lights on my dash start flashing at me about my fuel in the car. And I had this little thing that tell me how many miles you can go yet. And it was going zero, zero, zero. And the light, you know, low fuel. And I'm thinking, you know, it's just telling me how stupid I am. It just is like, they call those idiot lights, I think. For a reason. And I just felt, I remember, I, then I remembered, oh, coming here, I thought, I'll fill up when I get back. And then I decided to take this red-eye flight. And so it was just, I was, I was, I didn't know what to do. Because I thought, I'm not going to make it. I had, I've, I'd done this trip so many times, I knew it was like another 12 miles to the interstate and probably six up to the gas station that was on I-25 on the left side. It was the first one that I knew I would come to. And I'm thinking, okay, can I go 18 miles or whatever? And um, I'm just nursing the car. You ever been there? I mean, I'm slipping in a neutral going down the hills, you know, and I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm trying. And then, and then I feel it chug a couple times, and I'm like, you know, going like this, trying to get the, and I'm just, I, I'm going to run out of gas. I know it. And I'm, then I have this thought, what is Bonnie going to say when I call her and say, come and pick me up? And I'm, She would do it, but she would not be happy. So I started to think about other people I might call instead. <laughs> How many husbands know what I'm talking about right now? Okay, okay, stay with me. So I'm, I'm just, then all that went out, and then I decided I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, and then, then you pray, and you, you pray the stupidest prayer ever. You say, God, please, just this one time, I'll never do this again, ever. And God's like, nah. That's uh, a little foolish, isn't it, Northrop? Uh, and I kind of said, I know, never mind. <laughs> Even though it can help us in time of need. I, it was my, my bad. I get on the interstate. I have six miles. I'm just, I think maybe I'm going to make it. I go four miles. I feel a chug. I literally am making the car. I go right up to the exit. I go over the overpass on my 25, and the gas station's right there. And I, my car dies. And the steering wheel, you know, goes no power steering, no power brakes. I coast right down to the gas pump, right next to the pump. And I'm like, yes! I was so excited. And I get out of the car and I put the nozzle in there. I think gas was like four bucks a gallon or something. I did not care. I put it in there and I filled that thing to the top. And I was so happy. And I put the nozzle back. I got in my car. I got an I-25. And the most amazing thing happened. I looked off to my left. And I saw the moon and the light on the snow peak range of mountains. It was one of the most beautiful views I'd ever seen. And guess what? I never even noticed it before. You know why? I was on empty. 
I had one thing in mind. That was to get to the next fill station. I noticed my, my, my favorite jazz CD was playing in my car. I had never heard that. I, why? Because my palms were sweaty. I was worried. I didn't even know the music was going. Why? Because I was on empty. You don't do the dance when you're on empty. You don't hear the music of life when you're on empty. You don't see the beauty all around you when you're on empty. You know what you do? The only thing you do is you look for the next filling station. And Satan is there. And he pops up these little fill stations called pornography and drug addiction and alcoholism. And he wants you to stop for just a moment of self-gratification. But the truth is it's scarring you and scarring you and scarring you. Come to God. And he says, I'll fill you up full. And you'll have a basket left over. There is no need to live on empty because I'm a God of plenty. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. You are a mighty God. And you love us. Hard to even fathom, but you love us so much. Thank you. Lord, I ask you to fill some tanks today. I ask you to help us to be honest about how low the tank is in our emotions, our spiritual life. The world is draining us from life. Can I pray for some of you who would say, I'm definitely below a quarter of a tank in my spiritual, emotional life. I'm, man, sometimes I snap and I say things I shouldn't and I'm just tired. I just... I'm too much on empty. Pray for me. This doesn't mean you're in sin or do anything wrong. It just means life's getting the best of you. I get it, man. It's hard. But I want to pray over you. I want our church to pray for you. If you're too close to empty, would you raise a hand right now, please, to God? Church, help me just pray for these. Lord, this is a moment in which we are brothers and sisters, the family of God. We call this room our living room at Timberline because this is where we talk about real life, real issues. So right here in our living room today, would you come and be the filler of the soul? Would you bring hope? Would you remove some of that panic? Some of that dread, maybe even despair, with peace? Put peace and give us something that sustains us. A meal that we can remember. And there's more on our plate when we walk out of here that we have a resource that we don't have to live on empty. And take us to the hungry people because we have something to offer them. Secondly, how many of you would recognize that you've been guilty of minimizing your gifts, your resources, your time? Oh, it's just too little. It's just not enough. I just can't do what they can do. I'm just... And all of a sudden, you just feel like, well, I'm broke, I'm poor, I'm this, I'm, my health won't allow that. Well, stop all that. What can you do? Can you do a little bit? Can you make one phone call? Can you write one card? Can you encourage somebody with a text? Well, why don't you just do that? And let's all do a little bit. How many of you needed to hear that today? Okay. We need to hear that. Let's do a little bit. And let's feed more people. Lord, I pray this over our church. Guys, pray with me in this. Let's be a church that's healthy and well and always has the resources to feed many, right? 
Let's agree in that. Lord, this is why we exist as a church. To lead people into a transforming relationship with you. So show us how to live that out with passion. Show us how to walk in integrity. Show us how to have principles in our church that make a difference with people, that help people, that restore people. God, thank you for the heart of this church that loves and gives and goes and cares to the lowest and the the most hurt people on the planet. Thank you that there are so many people out there right now riding bicycles, heading to Brighton today, because they want justice against human trafficking. Thank you that there are people who are serving kids in VBS and Royal Family Camp. Thank you, God, that there are people all around this community that we need to feed and we need to love. Show us how to be your church, your hand extended, in real skin. In Jesus' name.